Section 18 of The Life of Abraham Lincoln, Volume 2, by Ida Tarbell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Appendix, Part 1. Letters, Telegrams, and Speeches, August 1833 to October 1837. Appendix. The following letters, telegrams, and speeches of Abraham Lincoln have been collected by the author in the course of the work of preparing this life of Lincoln. None of these documents appear in Lincoln's complete works, edited by Nicolay and Hay, or in any other collection of his writings. New Salem, August 10, 1833. E.C. Blankenship. Dear Sir, in regard to the time David Rankin served, the enclosed discharge shows correctly, as well as I can recollect, having no writing to refer. The transfer of Rankin from my company occurred as follows. Rankin, having lost his horse at Dixon's Ferry, and having acquaintances in one of the foot companies who were going down the river, was desirous to go with them, and when Galishan, being an acquaintance of mine and belonging to the company in which Rankin wished to go, wished to leave it and join mine this being the case it was agreed that they should exchange places and answer to each other's names as it was expected we all would be discharged in very few days as to a blanket i have no knowledge of rankin ever getting any the above embraces all the facts now in my recollection which are pertinent to the case i shall take pleasure in giving any further information in my power should you call on me your friend a lincoln original owned by dewitt c sprague washington d c mr spears at your request i send you a receipt for the postage on your paper i am somewhat surprised at your request i will however comply with it the law requires newspaper postage to be paid in advance and now that i have waited a full year you choose to wound my feelings by insinuating that unless you get a receipt i will probably make you pay it again Respectfully, A. Lincoln. Received of George Spears in full for postage on the Sangamon Journal up to the 1st of July, 1834. A. Lincoln, P.M. From facsimile of letter printed in the Menard Salem Lincoln Souvenir Album, Petersburg, 1893. Report of Road Survey written by Abraham Lincoln to the County Commissioner's Court for the County of Sangamon we the undersigned being appointed to view and relocate a part of the road between sangamon town and the town of athens respectfully report that we have performed the duty of said appointment according to law and that we have made the said relocation on good ground and believe the same to be necessary and proper james strobridge levi cantrell a lincoln athens november fourth eighteen thirty four herewith is the map the court may allow me the following charges if they think proper one day's labor as surveyor three dollars making map fifty cents three dollars fifty cents a lincoln original in office of county clerk springfield illinois john bennett esq springfield illinois august fifth eighteen thirty seven dear sir mr edwards tells me you wish to know whether the act to which your town incorporation provision was attached passed into a law it did you can organize under the general incorporation law as soon as you choose i also tacked a provision onto a fellow's bill to authorize the relocation of the road from salem down to your town but i am not certain whether or not the bill passed neither do i suppose i can ascertain before the law will be published if it is a law 
Bowling Green, Bennett, Abel, and yourself are appointed to make the change. No news, no excitement except a little about the election of Monday next. I suppose, of course, our friend, Dr. Henry, stands no chance in your diggings. Your friend and humble servant, A. Lincoln. Original owned by E. R. Elgin, Petersburg, Illinois. To the People, Sangamon Journal, Springfield, Illinois, August 19, 1837. In accordance with our determination, as expressed last week, we present to the reader the articles which were published in handbill form in reference to the case of the heirs of Joseph Anderson versus James Adams. These articles can now be read uninfluenced by personal or party feeling, with the sole motive of learning the truth. When that is done, the reader can pass his own judgment on the matters at issue. We only regret in this case that the publications were not made some weeks before the election. Such a course might have prevented the expressions of regret, which have often been heard since, from different individuals on account of the disposition they made of their votes. To the public. It is well known to most of you that there is existing at this time considerable excitement in regard to General Adams' titles to certain tracts of land and the manner in which he acquired them. As I understand, the general charges that the whole has been gotten up by a knot of lawyers to injure his election, and as I am one of the knot to which he refers, and as I happen to be in possession of facts connected with the matter, I will, in as brief a manner as possible, make a statement of them, together with the means by which I arrived at the knowledge of them. Sometime in May or June last, a widow woman, by the name of Anderson, and her son, who resides in Fulton County, came to Springfield, for the purpose, as they said, of selling a ten-acre lot of ground lying near town, which they claimed as the property of the deceased husband and father. When they reached town, they found the land was claimed by General Adams. John T. Stewart and myself were employed to look into the matter, and if it was thought we could do so with any prospect of success, to commence a suit for the land. I went immediately to the recorder's office to examine Adams's title, and found that the land had been entered by one Dixon, deeded by Dixon to Thomas, by Thomas to one Miller, and by Miller to General Adams. The oldest of these three deeds was about ten or eleven years old, and the latest more than five, all recorded at the same time, and that within less than one year. This I thought a suspicious circumstance, and I was thereby induced to examine the deeds very closely, with a view to the discovery of some defect by which to overturn the title, being almost convinced then it was founded in fraud. I finally discovered that in the deed from Thomas to Miller, although Miller's name stood in a sort of marginal note on the record book, it was nowhere in the deed itself. I told the fact to Talbot, the recorder, and proposed to him that he should go to General Adams's and get the original deed and compare it with the record, and thereby ascertain whether the defect was in the original or there was merely an error in the recording. As Talbot afterwards told me, he went to the general's, but not finding him at home, got the deed from his son, which, when compared with the record, proved what we had discovered was merely an error of the recorder. After Mr. Talbot corrected the record, he brought the original to our office, as I then thought and think yet to show us that it was right. When he came into the room, he handed the deed to me, remarking that the fault was all his own. 
on opening it another paper fell out of it which on examination proved to be an assignment of a judgment in the circuit court of sangamon county from joseph anderson the late husband of the widow above named to james adams the judgment being in favor of said anderson against one joseph miller knowing that this judgment had some connection with the land affair i immediately took a copy of it which is word for word letter for letter and cross for cross as follows joseph anderson versus joseph miller judgment in sangamon circuit court against joseph miller obtained on a note originally twenty-five dollars and interest thereon accrued i assign all my right title and interest to james adams which is in consideration of a debt i owe said adams joseph anderson his mark may tenth eighteen twenty seven as the copy shows it bore date may tenth eighteen twenty seven although the judgment assigned by it was not obtained until the october afterwards as may be seen by any one on the records of the circuit court two other strange circumstances attended it which cannot be represented by a copy one of them was that the date eighteen twenty seven had first been made eighteen thirty seven and without the figure three being fully obliterated the figure two had afterwards been made on top of it the other was that although the date was ten years old the writing on it from the freshness of its appearance was thought by many and i believe by all who saw it not to be more than a week old the paper on which it was written had a very old appearance and there were some old figures on the back of it which made the freshness of the writing on the face of it much more striking than i suppose it otherwise might have been the reader's curiosity is no doubt excited to know what connection this assignment had with the land in question the story is this dixon sold and deeded the land to thomas thomas sold it to anderson but before he gave a deed anderson sold it to miller and took miller's note for the purchase money when this note became due anderson sued miller on it and miller procured an injunction from the court of chancery to stay the collection of the money until he should get a deed for the land general adams was employed as an attorney by anderson in this chancery suit and at the october term eighteen twenty seven the injunction was dissolved and a judgment given in favor of anderson against miller and it was provided that thomas was to execute a deed for the land in favor of miller and deliver it to general adams to be held up by him till miller paid the judgment and then to deliver it to him miller left the county without paying the judgment anderson moved to fulton county where he has since died when the widow came to springfield last may or june as before mentioned and found the land deeded to general adams by miller she was naturally led to inquire why the money due upon the judgment had not been sent to them inasmuch as he general adams had no authority to deliver thomas's deed to miller until the money was paid then it was the general told her or perhaps her son who came with her that anderson in his lifetime had assigned the judgment to him general adams i am now told that the general is exhibiting an assignment of the same judgment bearing the date eighteen twenty eight and in other respects differing from the one described and that he is asserting that no such assignment as the one copied by me ever existed or if there did it was forged between talbot and the lawyers and slipped into his papers for the purpose of injuring him 
Now, I can only say that I know precisely such a one did exist, and that Ben Talbot, William Butler, C. R. Matheny, John T. Stewart, Judge Logan, Robert Irwin, P. C. Kennedy, and S. M. Tinsley all saw and examined it, and that at least one half of them will swear that it was in General Adams' handwriting and further i know that talbot will swear that he got it out of the general's possession and returned it into his possession again the assignment which the general is now exhibiting purports to have been by anderson in writing the one i copied was signed with a cross i am told that general neal says that he will swear that he heard general adams tell young anderson that the assignment made by his father was signed with a cross the above are facts as stated i leave them without comment i have given the names of persons who have knowledge of these facts in order that any one who chooses may call on them and ascertain how far they will corroborate my statements i have only made these statements because i am known by many to be one of the individuals against whom the charge of forging the assignment and slipping it into the general's paper has been made and because our silence might be construed into a confession of its truth i shall not subscribe my name but i hereby authorize the editor of the journal to give it up to any one who may call for it it having been stated this morning that the subscriber had refused to give the name of the author of the handbill above referred to which statement is not true to save any further remarks on this subject i now state that a lincoln esq is the author of the handbill in question simeon francis august seventh eighteen thirty seven messrs lincoln and talbot in reply to general adams sangamon journal springfield illinois september ninth eighteen thirty seven in the republican of this morning a publication of general adams appears in which my name is used quite unreservedly for this i thank the general i thank him because it gives me an opportunity without appearing obtrusive of explaining a part of a former publication of mine which appears to me to have been misunderstood by many in the former publication alluded to i stated in substance that mr talbot got a deed from a son of general adams's for the purpose of correcting a mistake that had occurred on the record of the said deed in the recorder's office that he corrected the record and brought the deed and handed it to me and that on opening the deed another paper being the assignment of a judgment fell out of it this statement general adams and the editor of the republican have seized upon as a most palpable evidence of fabrication and falsehood they set themselves gravely about proving that the assignment could not have been in the deed when talbot got it from young adams as he talbot would have seen it when he opened the deed to correct the record now the truth is talbot did see the assignment when he opened the deed or at least he told me he did on the same day and i only omitted to say so in my former publication because it was a matter of such palpable and necessary inference i had stated that talbot had corrected the record by the deed and of course he must have opened it and just as the general and his friends argue must have seen the assignment i omitted to state the fact of talbot's seeing the assignment because its existence was so necessarily connected with other facts which i did state that i thought the greatest dunce could not but understand it did i say talbot had not seen it did i say anything that was inconsistent with his having seen it before most certainly i did neither 
and if I did not, what becomes of the argument? These logical gentlemen cannot sustain their argument only by assuming that I did say negatively everything I did not say affirmatively, and upon the same assumption we may expect to find the general, if a little harder pressed for argument, saying that I said Talbot came to our office with his head downward, not that I actually said so, but because I omitted to say he came feet downward. In his publication today, the general produces the affidavit of Reuben Radford, in which it is said that Talbot told Radford that he did not find the assignment in the deed, in the recording of which the error was omitted, but that he found it wrapped in another paper in the recorder's office, upon which statement the general comments as follows, to wit, if it be true, as stated by Talbot to Radford, that he found the assignment wrapped up in another paper at his office, that contradicts the statement of Lincoln that it fell out of the deed. Is common sense to be abused with such sophistry? Did I say what Talbot found it in? If Talbot did find it in another paper at his office, is that any reason why he could not have folded it in a deed and brought it to my office? Can anyone be so far duped as to be made believe that what may have happened at Talbot's office at one time is inconsistent with what happened at my office at another time? Now, Talbot's statement of the case, as he makes it to me, is this, that he got a bunch of deeds from young Adams, and that he knows he found the assignment in the bunch, but he is not certain which particular deed it was in, nor is he certain whether it was folded in the same deed out of which it was took, or another one, when it was brought to my office. Is this a mysterious story? Is there anything suspicious about it? But it is useless to dwell longer on this point. Any man who is not willfully blind can see at a blush that there is no discrepancy, and Lincoln has shown that they are not only inconsistent with truth, but with each other. I can only say that I have shown that he has done no such thing, and if the reader is disposed to require any other evidence than the general's assertion, he will be of my opinion. Accepting the general's most flimsy attempt at mystification in regard to a discrepance between Talbot and myself, he has not denied a single statement that I made in my handbill. Every material statement that I made has been sworn to by men who, in former times, were thought as respectable as General Adams. I stated that an assignment of a judgment, a copy of which I gave, had existed. Benjamin Talbot, C. R. Matheny, William Butler, and Judge Logan swore to its existence. I stated that it was said to be in General Adams's handwriting. The same men swore it was in his handwriting. I stated that Talbot would swear that he got it out of General Adams's possession. Talbot came forward and did swear it. Bidding adieu to the former publication, I now propose to examine the General's last gigantic production. I now propose to point out some discrepancies in the General's address, and such too as he shall not be able to escape from. Speaking of the famous assignment, the General says, this last charge, which was their last resort, their dying effort to render my character infamous among my fellow citizens, was manufactured at a certain lawyer's office in the town, printed in the office of the Sangamon Journal, and found its way into the world some time between two days just before the last election. Now, turn to Mr. Key's affidavit in which you will find the following, viz., 
I certify that sometime in May or the early part of June, 1837, I saw at Williams Corner a paper purporting to be an assignment from Joseph Anderson to James Adams, which assignment was signed by a mark to Anderson's name, etc. Now, Mark, if Keyes saw the assignment on the last of May or first of June, General Adams tells a falsehood when he says it was manufactured just before the election which was on the 7th of August. And if it was manufactured just before the election, Keyes tells a falsehood when he says he saw it on the last of May or 1st of June. Either Keyes or the general is irretrievably in for it. And in the general's very condescending language, I say, let them settle it between them. Now again, let the reader, bearing in mind that General Adams has unequivocally said in one part of his address, that the charge in relation to the assignment was manufactured just before the election, turn to the affidavit of Peter S. Weber, where the following will be found, viz. I, Peter S. Weber, do certify that, from the best of my recollection, on the day or day after General Adams started for the Illinois Rapids in May last, that I was at the house of General Adams, sitting in the kitchen, situated on the back part of the house, it being in the afternoon, and that Benjamin Talbot came around the house, back into the kitchen, and appeared wild and confused, and that he laid a package of papers on the kitchen table and requested that they should be handed to Lucian. He made no apology for coming to the kitchen, nor for not handing them to Lucian himself, but showed the token of being frightened and confused both in demeanor and speech, and for what cause I could not apprehend." Commenting on Weber's affidavit, General Adams asks, Why this fright and confusion? I reply that this is a question for the general himself. Weber says that it was in May, and if so, it is most clear that Talbot was not frightened on account of the assignment, unless the general lies when he says the assignment charge was manufactured just before the election. Is it not a strong evidence that the general is not traveling with the pole star of truth in his front to see him in one part of his address roundly asserting that the assignment was manufactured just before the election, and then, forgetting that position, procuring Weber's most foolish affidavit to prove that Talbot had been engaged in manufacturing it two months before? In another part of his address, General Adams says, that I hold an assignment of said judgment, dated the 20th of May, 1828, and signed by said Anderson, I have never pretended to deny or conceal, but stated that fact in one of my circulars previous to the election, and also in answer to a bill in chancery. Now, I pronounce this statement unqualifiedly false, and shall not rely on the word or oath of any man to sustain me in what I say, but will let the whole be decided by reference to the circular and answer in chancery of which the general speaks. In his circular, he did speak of an assignment, but he did not say it bore date 20th of May, 1828, nor did he say it bore any date. In his answer in chancery, he did say that he had an assignment, but he did not say it bore date the 20th of May, 1828. But so far from it, he said, on oath, for he swore to the answer, that as well as he recollected, he obtained it in 1827. If anyone doubts, let him examine the circular and answer for himself. They are both accessible. 
it will readily be observed that the principal part of adams's defence rests upon the argument that if he had been base enough to forge an assignment he would not have been fool enough to forge one that would not cover the case this argument he used in his circular before the election the republican has used it at least once since then and adams uses it again in his publication of today now i pledge myself to show that he is just such a fool that he and his friends have contended it was impossible for him to be recollect he says he has a genuine assignment and that he got joseph klein's affidavit stating that he had seen it and that he believed the signature to have been executed by the same hand that signed anderson's name to the answer in chancery luckily klein took a copy of this genuine assignment which i have been permitted to see and hence i know it does not cover the case in the first place it is headed joseph anderson versus joseph miller and heads off judgment in sangamon circuit court now mark there never was a case in sangamon circuit court entitled joseph anderson versus joseph miller the case mentioned in my former publication and the only one between these parties that ever existed in the circuit court was entitled joseph miller versus joseph anderson miller being the plaintiff what then becomes of all their sophistry about adams not being fool enough to forge an assignment that would not cover the case it is certain that the present one does not cover the case and if he got it honestly it is still clear that he was fool enough to pay for an assignment that does not cover the case the general asks for proof of disinterested witnesses who does he consider disinterested none can be more so than those who have already testified against him no one of them had the least interest on earth so far as i can learn to injure him true he says they had conspired against him but if the testimony of an angel from heaven were introduced against him he would make the same charge of conspiracy and now i put the question to every reflecting man do you believe that benjamin talbot charles r matheny william butler and stephen t logan all sustaining high and spotless characters and justly proud of them would deliberately perjure themselves without any motive whatever except to injure a man's election and that too a man who had been a candidate time out of mind and yet had never been elected to any office adam's assurance in demanding disinterested testimony is surpassing he brings in the affidavit of his own son and even of peter s weber with whom i am not acquainted but who i suppose is some black or mulatto boy from his being kept in the kitchen to prove his points but when such a man as talbot a man who but two years ago run against general adams for the office of recorder and beat him more than four votes to one is introduced against him he asks the community with all the consequence of a lord to reject his testimony i might easily write a volume pointing out inconsistencies between the statements in adams last address with one another and with other known facts but i am aware that the reader must already be tired with the length of this article his opening statements that he was first accused of being a tory and that he refuted that that then the samson's ghost story was got up and he refuted that that as a last resort a dying effort the assignment charge was got up as all false as hell as all this community must know 
Samson's ghost first made its appearance in print, and that, too, after Keyes swears he saw the assignment, as anyone may see by reference to the files of papers. And General Adams himself, in reply to the Samson's ghost story, was the first man that raised the cry of Toryism, and it was only by way of set-off and never in seriousness that it was banded back at him. His effort to make the impression that his enemies first made the charge of Toryism, and he drove them from that, then Samson's ghost, he drove them from that, and finally the assignment charge was manufactured just before the election. Now, the only general reply he ever made to the Samson's ghost and Tory charges, he made at one and the same time, and not in succession as he states. And the date of that reply will show that it was made at least a month after the date on which Key swears he saw the Anderson assignment. But enough. In conclusion, I will only say that I have a character to defend as well as General Adams, but I disdain to whine about it as he does. It is true I have no children nor kitchen boys, and if I had, I should scorn to lug them in to make affidavits for me. A. Lincoln, September 6th, 1837 To the Public Sangamon Journal, Springfield, Illinois, October 28th, 1837 such is the turn which things have taken lately that when general adams writes a book i am expected to write a commentary on it in the republican of this morning he presented the world with a new work of six columns in length in consequences of which i must beg the room of one column in the journal it is obvious that a minute reply cannot be made in one column to everything that can be said in six and consequently i hope that expectation will be answered if i reply to such parts of the general's publication as are worth replying to it may not be improper to remind the reader that in his publication of september sixth general adams said that the assignment charge was manufactured just before the election and that in reply i proved that statement to be false by keys his own witness now, without attempting to explain, he furnishes me with another witness, Tinsley, by which the same thing is proved, to wit, that the assignment was not manufactured just before the election, but that it was made some weeks before. Let it be borne in mind that Adams made this statement, has himself furnished two witnesses to prove its falsehood, and does not attempt to deny or explain it. Before going farther, let a pin be stuck here, labeled, one lie proved and confessed on the sixth of september he said he had before stated in the handbill that he held an assignment dated may twentieth eighteen twenty eight which in reply i pronounced to be false and referred to the handbill for the truth of what i said this week he forgets to make any explanation of this let another pin be stuck here labelled as before I mention these things because if, when I convict him in one falsehood, he is permitted to shift his ground and pass it by in silence, there can be no end to this controversy. The first thing that attracts my attention in the General's present production is the information he is pleased to give to those who are made to suffer at his, my, hands. Under present circumstances, this cannot apply to me, for I am not a widow nor an orphan, nor have I a wife or children who might by possibility become such. Such, however, I have no doubt, have been and will be made again to suffer at his hands. My hands. Yes, they are the mischievous agents. 
the next thing i shall notice is his favorite expression not of lawyers doctors and others which he is so fond of applying to all who dare expose his rascality now let it be remembered that when he first came to this country he attempted to impose himself upon the community as a lawyer and actually carried the attempt so far as to induce a man who was under a charge of murder to entrust the defence of his life in his hands and finally took his money and got him hanged is this the man that is to raise a breeze in his favour by abusing lawyers if he is not himself a lawyer it is for the lack of sense and not of inclination if he is not a lawyer he is a liar for he proclaimed himself a lawyer and got a man hanged by depending on him passing over such parts of the article as have neither fact nor argument in them i come to the question asked by adams whether any person ever saw the assignment in his possession this is an insult to common sense talbot has sworn once and repeated time and again that he got it out of adams's possession and returned it into the same possession still as though he was addressing fools he has assurance to ask if any person ever saw it in his possession next i quote a sentence now my son lucian swears that when talbot called for the deed that he talbot opened it and pointed out the error true his son lucian did swear as he says and in doing so he swore what i will prove by his own affidavit to be a falsehood turn to lucian's affidavit and you will there see that talbot called for the deed by which to correct an error on the record thus it appears that the error in question was on the record and not in the deed how then could talbot open the deed and point out the error where a thing is not it cannot be pointed out the error was not in the deed and of course could not be pointed out there this does not merely prove that the error could not be pointed out as lucian swore it was but it proves too that the deed was not opened in his presence with a special view to the error for if it had been he could not have failed to see that there was no error in it it is easy enough to see why lucian swore this his object was to prove that the assignment was not in the deed when talbot got it but it was discovered he could not swear this safely without first swearing the deed was opened and if he swore it was opened he must show a motive for opening it and the conclusion with him and his father was that the pointing out the error would appear the most plausible for the purpose of showing that the assignment was not in the bundle when talbot got it is the story introduced into lucian's affidavit that the deeds were counted it is a remarkable fact and one that should stand as a warning to all liars and fabricators that in this short affidavit of lucian's he only attempted to depart from the truth so far as i have the means of knowing in two points to wit in the opening the deed and pointing out the error and the counting of the deeds and in both of these he caught himself about the counting he caught himself thus after saying the bundle contained five deeds and a lease he proceeds and i saw no other papers than the said deed and lease first he has six papers and then he saw none but two for my son lucian's benefit let a pin be stuck here adams again adduces the argument that he could not have forged the assignment for the reason that he could have had no motive for it with those that know the facts there is no absence of motive 
admitting the paper which he has filed in the suit to be genuine it is clear that it cannot answer the purpose for which he designs it hence his motive for making one that he supposed would answer is obvious his making the date too old is also easily enough accounted for the records were not in his hands and then, there being some considerable talk upon this particular subject, he knew he could not examine the records to ascertain the precise dates without subjecting himself to suspicion, and hence he concluded to try it by guess, and as it turned out, missed it a little. About Miller's deposition, I have word to say. In the first place, Miller's answer to the first question shows upon its face that he had been tampered with, and the answer dictated to him. He was asked if he knew Joel Wright and James Adams, and above three-fourths of his answer consists of what he knew about Joseph Anderson, a man about whom nothing had been asked, nor a word said in the question, a fact that can only be accounted for upon the supposition that Adams had secretly told him what he wished him to swear to. Another of Miller's answers I will prove both by common sense and the court of record is untrue. To one question he answers, Anderson brought a suit against me before James Adams, then an acting justice of the peace in Sangamon County, before whom he obtained a judgment. Question. Did you remove the same by injunction to the Sangamon Circuit Court? Answer. I did remove it. Now mark. It is said he removed it by injunction. The word injunction in common language imports a command that some person or thing shall not move or be removed. In law it has the same meaning. An injunction coming out of chancery to a justice of the peace is a command to him to stop all proceedings in a named case until further orders. It is not an order to remove but to stop or stay something that is already moving. Besides this, the records of the Sangamon Circuit Court show that the judgment of which Miller swore was never removed into said court by injunction or otherwise. I have now to take notice of a part of Adam's address, which in the order of time should have been noticed before. It is in these words. I have now shown in the opinion of two competent judges that the handwriting of the forged assignment differed from mine, and by one of them that it could not be mistaken for mine. That is false. Tinsley, no doubt, is the judge referred to, and by reference to his certificate, it will be seen that he did not say the handwriting of the assignment could not be mistaken for Adams's, nor did he use any other expression substantially, or anything near substantially, the same. But if Tinsley had said the handwriting could not be mistaken for Adams's, it would have been equally unfortunate for Adams, for it then would have contradicted Keyes, who says, I looked at the writing and judged it the said Adams's or a good imitation. Adams speaks with much apparent confidence of his success on attending lawsuits and the ultimate maintenance of his title to the land in question. Without wishing to disturb the pleasure of his dream, I would say to him that it is not impossible that he may yet be taught to sing a different song in relation to the matter. At the end of Miller's deposition, Adams asks, Will Mr. Lincoln now say that he is almost convinced my title to this ten-acre tract of land is founded in fraud? I answer, I will not. I will now change the phraseology so as to make it run, I am quite convinced, etc. 
i cannot pass in silence adams's assertion that he has proved that the forged assignment was not in the deed when it came from his house by talbot the recorder in this although talbot has sworn that the assignment was in the bundle of deed when it came from his house adams has the unaccountable assurance to say that he has proved the contrary by talbot let him or his friends attempt to show wherein he proved any such thing by talbot in his publication of the sixth of september he hinted to talbot that he might be mistaken in his present speaking of talbot and me he says they may have been imposed upon can any man of the least penetration fail to see the object of this after he has stormed and raged till he hopes and imagines he has got us a little scared he wishes to softly whisper in our ears if you'll quit i will if he could get us to say that some unknown undefined being had slipped the assignment into our hands without our knowledge not a doubt remains but that he would immediately discover that we were the purest men on earth this is the ground he evidently wishes us to understand he is willing to compromise upon but we ask no such charity at his hands we are neither mistaken nor imposed upon we have made the statements we have because we know them to be true and we choose to live or die by them esquire carter who is adams's friend personal and political will recollect that on the fifth of this month he adams with a great affectation of modesty declared that he would never introduce his own child as a witness notwithstanding this affectation of modesty he has in his present publication introduced his child as witness and as if to show with how much contempt he could treat his own declaration he has had this same esquire carter to administer the oath to him and so important a witness does he consider him and so entirely does the whole of his entire present production depend upon the testimony of his child that in it he has mentioned my son my son lucian lucian my son and the like expressions no less than fifteen different times let it be remembered here that i have shown the affidavit of my darling son lucian to be false by the evidence apparent on its own face and i now ask if that affidavit be taken away what foundation will the fabric have left to stand upon general adams publications and outdoor manoeuvring taken in connection with the editorial articles of the republican are not more foolish and contradictory than they are ludicrous and amusing one week the republican notifies the public that general adams is preparing an instrument that will tear rend split writhe blow up confound overwhelm annihilate extinguish exterminate burst asunder and grind to powder all its slanderers and particularly talbot and lincoln all of which is to be done in due time then for two or three weeks all is calm not a word said again the republican comes forth with a mere passing remark that public opinion has decided in favor of general adams and that intimates that he will give himself no more trouble about the matter in the meantime adams himself is prowling about and as burns says of the devil for prey a holes and corners tryin and in one instance goes so far as to take an old acquaintance of mine several steps from a crowd and apparently weighed down with the importance of his business gravely and solemnly asks him if 
he ever heard lincoln say he was a deist anon the republican comes again we invite the attention of the public to general adams's communication etc the victory is a great one the triumph is overwhelming i really believe the editor of the illinois republican is fool enough to think general adams is an honest man then general adams leads off authors most egregiously mistaken etc most woefully shall their presumption be punished etc lord have mercy on us the hour is yet to come yea nigh at hand how long first do you reckon when the journal in its junto shall say i have appeared too early then infamy shall be laid bare to the public gaze suddenly the general appears to relent at the severity with which he is treating us and he exclaims the condemnation of my enemies is the inevitable result of my own defence for your health's sake dear general do not permit your tenderness of heart to afflict you so much on our account for some reason perhaps because we are killed so quickly we shall never be sensible of our suffering farewell general i will see you again at court if not before when and where we will settle the question whether you or the widow shall have the land a lincoln october eighteenth eighteen thirty seven end of section eighteen